Here we go. All right. I want to talk about the importance of that passage. There's a lot to unpack there. It's a long one, but a really, really good one. But I also want to begin, and I know, I know, I feel like I touch on this, this topic a lot. I want to talk with us a little bit this morning about social media. It plays such a dominant and important role in our society and the way we live and move these days. And now I know that not all of you have a Facebook page or a Twitter account or an Instagram following. And that's okay because I think you'll see as I'm unpacking some of the themes that I see playing out on social media, I think you'll recognize the way that this is just the human predicament. And really, social media just gives us a place where this is all finally on display in very public and real ways. And yet the problems that we see there have lived within us since the beginning of time. And so in particular, what I've noticed a lot of is that social media is all about you. That's why it's so powerful. In 2010, Time Magazine declared its person of the year, you. Did you know that? They put a mirror on the cover because that was kind of the turning point in our society where we were so focused on ourselves and what we could create. And so you've got places like Facebook where you are creating a profile that's all about you. And you get to put on it pictures of yourself that you find flattering and and enjoyable, um, interesting, uh, pictures of yourself doing really important things with really important people. And you also can list on there your favorite books and your favorite television shows and your favorite movies and your favorite quotes. And and I've looked at a lot of these, and, and I also know that I'm guilty of this myself. Oftentimes what we put in those sections is just the books or movies that we might have seen or read that maybe aren't necessarily our favorites, but that are most impressive, right? I've seen far too many people list their favorite book as crime and punishment to know that this is true. They're just proud of themselves for reading all 750 pages of esoteric Russian literature. No one's actual favorite book is crime and punishment, but it looks real good on a Facebook page. And so we exist in this ideal world, interacting against our ideal selves. And we share the articles that we find interesting and impressive. And we support the causes that maybe we aren't necessarily behind, but it looks good. And people like it, right? There's that little like button. And this is all part of the problem, you see. Because of the way that social media is set up, there's this constant need for validation. And so you put something out there in hopes that it will get lots of likes or retweaks or comments. And when that doesn't happen, you're all of a sudden left feeling inadequate. But this is only part of the problem because what also simultaneously happens is you see how other people are existing in this social media sphere. And you notice that they're getting all of the likes and all of the retweets. And you know what? They're not really doing anything that more impressive than what you're doing. So why are they getting all the validation and you're not? You see, even if you don't have a social media profile, I think you know what I'm talking about. This constant need for comparison. This constant need to boost ourselves up. It's at the very heart of what it means to be human. It's something we have all struggled with in various and different ways and will continue to struggle with throughout our life. If I had to put a a pithy little phrase on what I think social media actually is, right? if I had to send a tweet out about what I think social media is, it is a shrine to ourselves. 
There's a new technology that was created in photography within these last years of social media. Do you know what it's called? It's called a selfie. A shrine to ourselves. We build up this profile in order to make ourselves look as good as possible. And really what underlies all of this is this deep longing that exists within each and every one of us to be God. Because that's what a shrine is. It is a holy place set aside for the gods to honor the gods. And social media is just that, a shrine to ourselves. A place where we build ourselves up so that we can be more godlike, more impressive, more infallible. Now, I'm telling you all of this because, like I said, this difficulty has lived within humanity since the very beginning of time. Our first reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 11. Now, you might remember, you learned in Sunday school, right? Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So these are some of the first stories about what it was like to be human on this earth. And wouldn't you know that by chapter 11, a group of people was getting together in Genesis chapter 11, and they're deciding to build a shrine to themselves. It says very clearly in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, if you want to pull out your Bibles and read it with me, if not, I'll get it for you right here. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, as they're giving their reasoning for building this tower, they say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. In the very beginning, humanity is only a a second old or so in the grand scheme of things. And they get together and decide, you know what? We're great. You know what? We need to build something that reaches up to God, that reaches the heavens, because we need to make a name for ourselves. The focus is all about them. All about them. And it speaks to this great human predicament, this battle with the ego that's been raging since the beginning of time. That when humans get together and are left to our own devices, we'll make it all about ourselves. And now as you look through scriptures, you'll notice that this theme comes up again and again. This longing to build up to the heavens. This longing to boost yourself up and make yourself look better. You'll remember that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, that first temptation was put very clearly. The serpent said to them, if you eat the fruit, you will become like God. And that's where he got them. That was the hook that, where they said, like, oh, we can be like God. That's what I've always wanted. And you'll notice, it's no mistake, that the very first commandment God ever gave us, the one that if we follow will kind of allow everything else to fall into place, the first commandment we were given is, you shall have no other gods before me. That includes yourself, church. That includes yourself. And so we have God at the Tower of Babel confronting this situation where a group of people have gotten together, they've got one language, and they've decided, you know what, we're great, and we need the world to know it, and they build a tower. And what God does next is very peculiar at first. God comes down and confuses their language. And now, when I first read this, right, I'm thinking to myself, well, I learned in kindergarten that cooperation is most important, right? Teamwork makes the dream work. What are you doing, God, messing everybody up here? But as you dig deeper into it, you realize that God's wisdom is always far beyond ours. As we look at the history of the world, you will notice that when the most problematic times 
are when large groups of people get together and just agree on everything. Every single empire is an example of this. Oh, we are one people with one idea, and we believe that our one idea is better than everything else. And that's where all sorts of violence and hatred can start to erupt. This is why God comes down at Babel to confuse them, because God knows that diversity is a gift. God knows that it is a better world when we speak many different languages, when we have many different cultures, when there are multiple different ideas about how reality is and how the world works. God knows that this type of world will keep us from thinking that we are God. Because if you are only around people who agree with you all day, you start to think that you've got it all figured out. That's right, I'm infallible because everyone that I surround myself with agrees with me. No one challenges my ideas because my ideas are perfect. You see how if you get rid of diversity, you're suddenly left with an an, an terrible case of idolatry. And that's what God is working against at Babel. God knows that diversity is a gift that will help keep us fallible human beings in check. We need someone to tell us that we're wrong every now and then. We need someone to ask the question and say, hey, wait a second, maybe we don't have to do it that way. We need differences of opinions, differences in culture, differences in language, because that's what keeps us from trying to create shrines to ourselves. And so God comes down and confuses the languages at Babel for this purpose. And it really should be a message and a reminder to us of how important humility actually is. We need to realize that we're not God. We need to realize that we don't have it all figured out. We need to realize that our ideas can be questioned and critiqued. And frankly, that's a good thing when it happens. We will be stronger for it. Because if not, if not our ego will just run the show, won't it? And now this ego, this this is really the main culprit in our story here, the problem that we're facing. When we are only worrying about our own ego, that's what causes us to build these shrines to ourselves, right? And, And notice that throughout our human existence, when your ego gets bruised, that's when things get really ugly, isn't it? Oh, they said something that they didn't mean to be mean, but it hurt me. And so now I'm defensive and spiteful and resentful of them. Or or you start to get nervous that someone's actually doing something a little bit better than you are. So you start a couple of vicious rumors on the side to help keep that person in check. Gossip, hatred, anger, it's all a result of our ego running the show in the world. I'll tell you a story. I'm going to try and put my own personal ego to the side, right? I'm not the hero in this story by any stretch. We were in the waiting room uh, at the doctor's office to go for our routine ultrasound for our first child. My wife was pregnant with our first child, Evelyn. You got to do that ultrasound at, I think, 20 weeks or something like that. So that's what we're there waiting for. And we're in the waiting room, and I'm not good at sitting still. Did you figure that out yet? I'm not good at sitting still. And so I'm getting fidgety, and I'm playing on my phone, and I drop it. And it's got a case on it, protective case, thank goodness. But the case kind of shatters all over the place. 
And then it's in the waiting room. And so there's lots of people there and everyone's looking at me and I'm embarrassed because I just dropped my phone and it broke everyone. So I just quick scoop everything up. And my wife's kind of watching carefully and she's like, Did, is it broken? Did you just break your phone case? I'm like, no, 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 it was like that already. It was like that already. But she was absolutely right. She was absolutely right. There was a new crack. My piece of the phone case had broken up. And now think about it in the grand scheme of things. It's a phone case, right? I, I, I can buy another one or maybe I can just go without one and be a little more careful with my phone once in a while. But because my ego was on display, I was already feeling embarrassed by everyone in the waiting room looking at me. And now I'm feeling extra defensive as my wife accuses me of breaking my phone case. And so I tell a little lie about it. No, 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 it was always like that. It was always like that. And the thing about wives is they can always see right through your garbage, right? <laughs> and so she knows right away that I'm not telling the truth. And she starts to push. And then thankfully, by the grace of God, the receptionist says, uh, pricing her family, the doctor will see you now. And so thankfully, we got to go off and do the ultrasound, which is always a beautiful moment, and then put a lot of positive emotions on it. But then when we got to the car, we hashed things out. And I had to admit that, yes, I lied to you in that moment because I was just following the leadings of my ego, right? It's so silly, such a dumb thing to be fighting about or to lie about in general. And yet, don't we all know that this is the case? That your ego will just put you on autopilot before you can even stop it. And you'll be telling little white lies. You'll be gossiping here and there. You'll be doing whatever you can to make yourself look better and others look worse. You see, church, our job is to fight against these types of motivations. We are constantly told in this world to build ourselves up. But really, that is just a message from the ego. Make yourself look good. Make yourself look better. Do whatever you can to be number one. Yes, that's worthy and admirable in some spheres, but it will always lead to terrible situations. Our job is to build out, to concern ourselves with our relationship with others first and foremost. Yes, you've got to protect yourself. Yes, you've got to take care of yourself. But don't let it run wild. The ego is a nasty little thing that lives inside you that can take you on autopilot and have you lying, cheating, and stealing before you can say boo. And the truth is that this is why God sends the Holy Spirit. On that Pentecost day, we read in Acts chapter 2 that the disciples were all in one place. Again and again, in those first few verses, it reminds us of this. All the disciples were together. All the disciples were together. And it's as if they're being set up for another Babel. Oh, they're all together. Are they going to build up a big tower up to God and in glorification of themselves? But God says no. God says no. No, 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 no. My people will be sent out. And they will speak many different languages. And there will be many different cultures. And there will be many different churches that arise from this one Pentecost day. Because that diversity is important and beautiful for the sake of the entire church. And because when we act and express our beliefs and love of God in different ways, it keeps our ego in check. This church that we are a part of is great. It's wonderful. It's joyful. We have so many gifts to celebrate here. 
but it's only a piece of the puzzle. And what they do down the street at Enon is also beautiful and wonderful and great and good for the kingdom of God. And what they do at St. Peter's and what they do up in Chestnut Hill and what they do down in Center City. These are all expressions of the Christian church and they're all reminders that none of us have it quite right. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. We've got to keep our humility about this as we follow Jesus, as we are the church together. And so what I just want to do in closing is talk a little bit about where I see this church going in the years ahead. We have to keep our ego in check always. We have to remember that God calls us to build out, not up. Out, not up. And this is, yes, the welcome place. And we have been the welcome place for a long time, and that is good and holy and great. We celebrate the diversity of the church in many different ways. No matter what race, no matter what age, no matter what socioeconomic status, no matter what gender identity, no matter what sexual orientation, you are welcome at Reformation. Come to church. But we also have to remember that we need to be the Holy Spirit place. The Holy Spirit place that goes out. We can't just be waiting for all these people to come through the doors for us to welcome them. we got to go out there and tell people about it. Be led by the Holy Spirit to get outside your ego and share with someone else what God is doing in your life. Share with someone else what God is doing at your church. Express the joy of the Holy Spirit, not just on Sunday mornings, but on Monday at work too. And people will start to ask, well, what's going on here? I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. You see, church, our calling is very, very simple. We are called to build out, to celebrate the diversity of God's church and God's people, to embrace it with joy, to build out to those in need so that they know the life-giving power of Jesus Christ in their lives. So won't you join me? Let's build this church up by building it out together. Amen.